Support for WPR comes from Schultz Nonprofit Law, sharing WPR's mission to inform and inspire, and providing advice for nonprofits, cooperatives, and other social enterprises. SchultzNonprofitLaw.com. Support for WPR comes from Explore Monroe County, from the Elroy Sparta Bicycle Trail to the Warren's Cranberry Festival, featuring artist booths and cranberry marsh tours. More at ExploreMonroeCounty.org. More than you know. You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Barrett. Have you ever sat down one evening and thought to yourself, that was a day? If you wrote about that day, could its events, its trials, tribulations, highs, lows, mysteries, revelations fill an entire book? Our next guest has made an impressive literary career of filling books, big ones, with storytelling about a world of his own creation told from the perspective of a span of individual days. The same is true from his newest book, a standalone story that takes place in one day in his fictional world. You can join the conversation at 800-642-1234. Are you a fan of Wisconsin author Patrick Rothfuss, a reader of fantasy fiction yourself? Have you ever worked to create your own fantasy world for a role-playing game, for your own writing? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Wisconsin's own Patrick Rothfuss is the author of the King Killer Chronicle fantasy series. It kicked off with The Name of the Wind. His new book is called The Narrow Road Between Desires, set in the fictional world where his other novels take place. Fun fact, he was a guest on the pilot version of a radio show that eventually became this show. Pat, welcome back to Central Time. <laughs> hey, uh, so uh, first off, I didn't know that. I didn't know that I was like, uh, you know, I was an early adopter. But also that was the best, nicest lead in I have heard in a mortal <laughs> age. I am so tickled and I'm like really kind of blushy right now. Oh, stop. <laughs> it's, it's true. I never actually realized that, yeah, I guess I do frame things in terms of days, uh, which sounds silly now that I kind of admit that that wasn't intentional. Wow. And I'll, I'll credit to, to our producer, Tim Peterson. I've read your books, but I didn't really, until I thought back, like, yeah, those, the novels were told. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's, uh, for people, a lot of people in Wisconsin familiar with your work. For those who aren't, can you tell us a bit about the world that The Name of the Wind and and the new book, uh, The Narrow Road Between Desires, is set in? Um, you know, uh, that is a dangerous one, and I'll try to do it <laughs> briefly. Uh, uh, How much time do we who, have? Yeah, <laughs> Exactly. Everyone out there just heard me say briefly, and they're rolling their eyes. Um, I, uh, you know, uh, fantasy... Uh, if you look at Tolkien, he wrote what is referred to as secondary world fantasy. It happens somewhere else. There's a lot of modern fantasy is written in this world, but different, or this world, but there's secrets. When I sat down to start this whole project, gosh, 20 years ago, uh, I knew I wanted to tell a story in another world. But the thing that I wanted to avoid is something I've seen in so many of the books that I loved, but it broke my heart. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, Middle Earth is kind of done. The story mm -hmm. exhausts the world. There can't ever be follow-ups because, like, the elves are leaving. And the story is so big that you, there's no room for more things to happen after it in the world without seeming anticlimactic. So when I started writing this story, I'm like, I want to tell a smaller story about a man's life. You know, what's like, I've heard it referred to as the backstage pass 
to the 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 myth of the hero um but after i'm yeah i always thought when i'm done telling this person's story there's more world more places more people um so that's that's my world is it is um a fun place to explore but hopefully big enough i always hoped for for multiple stories that's not very descriptive at all that's okay um but but i actually want to take it to this new book the narrow road between desires you've actually done exactly what you just talked about uh in in this and a previous book taken one character a secondary character uh from the main arc and said in effect what does a day in their life look like and and it's a very different feel and a very different voice but it allows you to explore another part of that world you created and, you know, that was, it was something I stumbled into with uh, Slow Regard, the, the book that should never have been written and I never <laughs> thought would be published, uh, the book where nothing happens, uh, but that I, I love it anyway. And, uh, you know, this one, at least I could think, well, people do want to show up for effectively, you know, uh, you get to see a secondary character live their own life. There's there's a term for that sort of episode in a TV show, but I, I don't know it because I don't do TV shows. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about the challenge of writing fantasy, and I'm always impressed with this fantasy and some science fiction, where, as you said, it's set not in our world, where in addition to telling a story, you have to answer a lot of questions about how that world works, <laughs> but also... I mean, and some old science fiction is, hey, here's an encyclopedia chapter for the first chapter, so you know where we are. Uh, the challenge of, like, working all that world building in while still, you know, advancing a plot. It's, it is it is the persistent issue, and it's one, you know, we all love Granddaddy Tolkien. We're, we're in his shadow, and his shadow is long. And I love The Lord of the Rings, read it every year as a kid. It's got fingerprints all over my heart. But good Lord, that book starts slow, right? <laughs> and and he's like, hey, there's a place. And they have birthday parties and they give gifts. And they're called math homes. And there's a museum. And so this guy is going to have a birthday. And here's what that birthday is like. And you're like, Tolkien, it's been 50 pages. I don't, what's going on here? <laughs> and so what it's talked about in this day and age is you make this world because you have to make a world to tell a story in it. And then you're kind of proud of it and you want to show it off and you have to show it off. But, you know, the rookie mistake is to, again, follow a little too closely in Tolkien's footsteps and you show everything off and you're excited because your baby is very smart and pretty and you really want to talk about the cool religion you made or the <laughs> magic you have. And it's called the info dump. It's it, the, and I, in my experience, the problem isn't making a cool world. The problem is making it and then shutting up about it and <laughs> doing a story instead. Uh, and, and I'm afflicted with it as much as anyone because I do a wild amount of world building. Talking to Wisconsin author Patrick Rothfuss, author of the series that starts with The Name of the Wind. A new book set in that world is just out, The Narrow Road Between Desires. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Your questions, your experiences reading fantasy literature, and a question I'm about to ask, uh, Patrick, is what kind of stuff do you like to read to your kids? 
Do you have fond memories of having things read to you by your parents growing up? Join in at 800-642-1234. Pat, you were mentioning your reading of The Lord of the Rings as a kid. I know you've talked online and elsewhere about, you know, what you like to read to your own kids. What is on your hit list? What kind of things do you look for to read to, to kids? I do. You know, for a long time, uh, I, uh, for those of you out there that know what Goodreads is, I, I used to review a lot of books there. And then as I started to read more to my boys and look more at kids books, I, I, I shifted almost entirely to sharing my many, many opinions about children's (laughs) literature because good Lord, if you're a careful parent who wants to limit a child's exposure to some really toxic cultural stuff, it's there's a lot to look out for in some of these classic books. Um, but yeah, I I I never knew that Little House on a Prairie on the Prairie was real or a book until um you know until I already had kids. So I read all of them to the boys, um, editing on the fly to avoid, oof, there are some racist and sexist things in there. But still, they're fabulous. They're they're more fantastic than a lot of fantasy I've read. Um, these days, though, uh, my boys are nine and fourteen, um, and there's very little, like in terms of uh, like age range that I wouldn't lay on them. Um, you know, think of who their daddy is, right? <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, I I've read The Hobbit to them multiple times. Um, they could practically sing along with the opening. I, (laughs) right now I'm rereading the last unicorn to them. One of my all time favorite books. Um, I read this book to them, um, only because on a lark, um, you know, I, I was reading, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's like foundational, uh, wizard of Earthsea, which I love and they love, but it was not meant to be read out loud and it was hard. And if you're doing it before bed, you don't want an extra job. And I got the, I'm like, maybe I could read them a little bit of slow regard, which I remembered being easy to read out loud because I did the (laughs) audio book. And I'm like, and I, I did it. And then I immediately got self-conscious and I said, you know what, boys, this was silly. I'm not going to read you my own. And they're like, please, please, please. (laughs) And I read it. And they they loved this story about nothing. They were so into it. And so I bounced this book off of them as well. And they helped me catch a few mistakes. And they helped me work on the illustrations. So I, I read to them all the time. Not not as much as I as I wish I would, but still still an awful lot. Yeah. We're, we're talking to Wisconsin author Patrick Rothfuss about some of his storytelling craft, including uh, speculative fiction and world building. And his new book, it's called The Narrow Road Between Desires. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Do you have questions for our guest? Have you already picked up the new book? Uh, Are you a writer yourself? Do you need maybe some uh, inspiration for your own creativity? And do you have favorite things to read to kids? Or do you have a favorite memory of being read to as a kid? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Or email ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up next here on Central Time.
You're listening to Central Time. I'm Rob Ferret. Wisconsin author Patrick Rothfuss is with us talking about the craft of storytelling. Storytelling in his new book set in his fictional world is called The Narrow Road Between Desires. You can join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Let's bring on a caller. John is with us in Green Bay. John, hi. Hello. I just want to queer, uh, share a quick story of my aunt reading Silverstein poems to us, my sister and I, and how much we just enjoyed that experience, um, how his words brought those poems to our imagination. And, uh, yeah, another, I forgot the titles. It's uh, Another Light in the Attic, something like that. Perhaps the author knows. A Light in the Attic. And, John, i got to ask before I let you go, have you passed those on to a new generation, or do you plan to? Yes, we've kept them, and I read them to my kids, but now my kids are uh, 19, 21, <laughs> 23, so we'll see. It might, they'll be held on to, to for another generation. I, sure. My kids are that age. They don't let me read to them anymore either. But uh, yeah, I had a great aunt who read uh, Shel Silverstein to us as a kid. It's the, it's the, the poems that uh, aunts read to kids, apparently, Pat. Oh, I, uh, Shel Silverstein just gave me like a tingle of joy. Um, the boys would read some of that to each other. Mm. Um, I also stumbled onto uh, videos of Shel Silverstein reading his own stuff, um, which was wild. Like it was not what I expected <laughs> because he was an intense man. <laughs> Thanks a lot for that call at 800-642-1234. Uh, Pat, in the new book, I get a little bit of a like a fairy tale feel to it uh, for a couple of reasons, I think. Uh, do you do you look to the worlds of uh, fairy tales and folklore for some of your inspiration? Absolutely. And for this one in particular, um, I kind of put my foot in it because I'm like, oh, you know, I... Uh, I actually studied fairy tales. I used to collect fairy tales. I, I'm like, back in my arrogant youth, I'm like, I just want to read all of the classic fairy tales, get them <laughs> under my belt. You can't. There's so many and from all different cultures. Um, however, when I, I'm like, I'll draw on some of those elements. And, you know, if you're, again, if I'm trying to fit some of those things into my world, my world is not the world of, you know, medieval Europe mm-hmm. or where the Grimm brothers were, or, you know, uh, you know, a lot of these, you know, this, this different mindset. So the cultural things don't fit together, but also trying to bring in and sort of be, be mindful of a different sort of morality because these fairy tales were moral. Uh, Bruno Bettelheim wrote a great book. It's one of the few books written about fairy tales seriously. And it's called The Witch Must Die um, because people think, oh, these were never meant for children. The thing is, yeah, they weren't meant just for children. Kids love them and they don't mind terrible things in stories so long as the, the people who do terrible things are punished. And that sort of it's reassuring because you're like oh there might be bad people but they're gonna get theirs and like and and that is a more i'm not saying it's the best morality but there's a moral compass in there and like uh the 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 evil stepmother in sleeping beauty at the end 
she's safe, she's back, she's getting married, and at the wedding, um, they make her, they heat up a pair of iron shoes by the fire, make her wear them and dance until she dies. So, like, that's old, Old Testament morality mm-hmm. there. Um, and But that doesn't really you know, fit in the world I created. And it's not necessarily the morality that I want to spread in my own (laughs) fiction. So, I mean, a little taste of that is fine, but I don't want that to be the end all be all. So trying to be socially responsible with what I'm sharing with the world, uh, it's a little tricky because the old folk tales, they were, they were dark and, and fairies weren't really interested in, important stuff like consent and so i i had some work to do uh there yeah let's go back to our callers barbara is with us in madison barbara hi hi i just want to tell patrick how much i enjoy his writing i picked up the name of the wind i don't know why i picked it you know but i loved it so much i shared it with my whole family and i just finished reading the slow regard again because I liked that so much, I saw it at the library. And now the um, mystery to me just called and said, your new book is in, could I come and get it? So that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Barbara, oh, who, who gave you a call? Uh, the uh, Murder to Me bookstore, I think she was referring to. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Bar- Barbara, thanks a lot for that call. Patrick, I, you're at a point uh, where you've got lots of fans out there. What, is it, what does it feel like to, I don't know, just to have people out there looking forward to something, uh, as Barbara did clearly, uh, to pick it up that book at the bookstore today? You know, uh, the, the, the proper answer is sort of the chirpy Hollywood interview answer, which is to say, oh, it's so great. And it's, and it is, I'm not saying that's not a true answer, but the really true answer is it's been like almost a decade but since I published a book and I've really felt bad about that and I've beaten myself up about it and there's books I've wanted to write and there's books that people want to read from me and then I do this book and I know it's not the book some people want or wish for and so it's not healthy but I will admit like somebody asked me this exact question. Hey, you're getting a book out. How does it it feel pretty good? And I'm like, actually, I have a sense of dread because I'm I'm worried people will just be upset. It's not what they want. And, but hearing from people like that, I remember like, you don't do things for the people that are going to be angry at you. Like that's, that shouldn't be my deciding thing. It's, it's been so nice to hear it again and again, as I put the book out some people are salty, it's not what they wanted, or it's been too long for them. But there's so many people who are kind and thoughtful, and they understand that life gets in the way. And, and it, 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 it does me a world of good to hear that people still think of me fondly, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Barbara, thanks a lot for the call. I think I said murder to me, mystery to me, bookstore. Talking to Patrick Rothfuss, author of the King Killer Chronicle fantasy series. His latest book is called The Narrow Road Between Desires. It's been a while since we talked, Patrick, but I, I dimly recall that you really liked recommending books and sharing the stuff you're loving reading with other uh, humans. You got any uh, suggestions for us these days? You know, uh, when you're when you're uh, promoting a book... <laughs> You know what your PR people hate is when you talk about another book that's coming out right now. But man, I will, I, I'll do it every time. 
if you haven't read Murderbot, the Murderbot Diaries, I think I love it as much as I've loved anything that I've read that I've picked up new in these last five years. Um, and you might think, what Murderbot? That ooh, no. It I I I read a lot, and I don't know if I have loved anything as much as I've loved that for that multiple, multiple times. The audiobook is stunning by Kevin R. Free. It's by Martha Wells. And the newest one, me and my boys, honestly, I've been I've been kind of excited and kind of dreading my own book release. The one, the book release we've really been looking forward to in this household with <laughs> untrammeled joy is Martha Wells' new murder bot. Um, start at the beginning though, and and trust me, it's gorgeous. I've never empathized with a character as much as I've empathized with Murderbot. All right. I uh, will apologize to your PR people, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> no, I I love it. I, thank you for giving me the chance because I'll talk <laughs> about Murderbot all day. I would list a hundred books, um, uh, but I know that I, I shouldn't mention a book that's coming out literally right now, but absolutely pick that one up. Then, then you can try mine. And then, uh, just, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, actually, I just want to ask briefly in our last half a minute or so, Patrick, you've taught creative writing, including at your alma mater, UW-Stevens Point, over the years. Quick bit of inspiration for somebody who wants to write for, you know, maybe they're going to publish a book. Maybe it's just for fun. A quick bit of inspiration for them. Um, I'll say this. You, there's no right way to do it. And anyone who says this is the way, <laughs> take their advice with a grain of salt. Instead, if you want to make a world, don't feel like you got to do what Tolkien did. He was a linguist, so he did languages. He was a historian, so he based it on the Eddas. If you love stamp collecting and and butterflies, and that's what you're into, make a world that centers around that, and I will be there for your weird Lepidoptera fantasy novel, <laughs> man. That will leave it there. Good to talk to you again. So good to talk to you. That's Wisconsin-born and raised Patrick Rothfuss, author of the Kingkiller Chronicle Fantasy series, which kicked off with The Name of the Wind. We talked to him about his latest book called The Narrow Road Between Desires and many other things as well. If you have a favorite book that you like reading to kids, email ideas at WPR.org. We can share it on a future program. This is Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. As a hockey player at UW-Madison, Blake Jeffreyon seemed to be destined for big things at the highest levels of the game. He had played for Team USA at many levels of youth hockey. He was drafted by an NHL team partway through college, elected to finish four years. After his senior year, he won the Hobie Baker Award as the top college hockey player in the country. Hockey was even in his blood. Pro hockey went back four generations, including the legendary Bernie Boom Boom Jeffreyon, his grandfather. But just a couple years into his pro career, a horrific on-ice injury ultimately put an end to his playing days. A new book shares Blake's story. The author joins us now along with Blake Jeffrey on himself. You can join in at 800-642-1234. Have you played competitive hockey yourself? What was your experience like in the sport? If you gave a big part of your life to any sport and your playing days ended, what was it like? How did you handle that transition? Join in at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234. Or email ideas at WPR.org. 
Sam Jeffries is a freelance writer and communications professional and a UW-Madison graduate. He's author of the book Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffrey on, and the fastest game on earth. Sam, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. And legendary UW-Madison hockey star Blake Jeffrey on is with us as well. Blake, welcome back to Wisconsin. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it. Blake, first of all, uh, this book covers some very uh, painful moments in every way of the word uh, in your story. A guy comes up to you and says, I want to write a book about these moments. Did you think twice about wanting to talk about it and relive it? Yeah, um, I think my, my first reaction was, is this guy serious? Out of all the people and all the things in the world <laughs> you could write a book about, why me was actually my, my knee-jerk and first reaction. Uh, but to answer your question more directly, um, no, look, I think I think uh, everything in this world happens for a reason, good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. And, and um, you know, I've taken the good, learned from the bad, and, and kind of moved on. I think that's how I've always been. That's how I was as a player. And, um, you know, so when Sam approached me, um, you know, once I got past it, he was actually real, and it wasn't a college buddy messing with me. Um, you know, I was I was kind of thumbs up, and let's let's do this. Sam, Blake set up my first question for you. Uh, why Blake? What led you to want to tell his story? I had gone to Madison, uh, and Blake and I overlapped and followed his incredible career, but then – followed his uh, uh, pro career after as well and saw that rise and, and then uh, the, the tragedy that ended his playing time. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I realized that there was so much uh, additional that I could share and, and tell and, and that he really was the Forrest Gump of hockey, that he had been right place, right time for so many moments in the sport for uh, decades. And so I, I don't think it was that hard of a sell to convince him <laughs> that uh, there was even more to his story than maybe he realized. Now, Blake, uh, your earliest memories of hockey, Now, you're, I mentioned hockey dynasty, a boom, boom, Jeffrey on the inventor of the slap shot. Uh, there are stories in the book about you riding your tricycle around in circles, pretending it's a Zamboni. <laughs> what is your first memory of saying, this is what I want to do. I want to play hockey. Yeah. I mean, I think there's three defining moments that stick out, you know, big time for me. Um, you know, number one would be, you know, just getting on the ice and understanding that feeling and pushing around a chair and learning how to skate. Um, you know, two was, you know, the first time I remember the first time that I actually like scored a goal and the sensation and feeling that ran through my body. Um, and, and that's when I knew I, I was a, a true competitor, uh, since a very young age. And then I think three was when I was, a when I was a fairly young kid and the stories in the book, um, my, I was shooting pucks in the backyard and my grandfather came out, boom, boom, Jeffrey on. And he goes, that's not how you shoot the puck. You shoot the puck like this there. And he took my little stick, flipped it over. Cause I was lefty. He was a righty missed the net and put a hole through my fence. And I remember like watching this puck, like saucer perfectly <laughs> and the whole thing. And then my dad instantly came out like, dad, what are you doing? I just built that fence. And, you know, uh, after I saw my, my pappy shoot the puck, I was like, Oh man, I want to, I want to be that guy. Um, I think those are the three defining moments of my of my early childhood days of 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 um, you know wanting to be a hockey player. And Sam, we just heard that uh, that French Canadian uh, accent of Blake's pappy there. But uh, Blake's growing up in the Nashville, Tennessee area. You talk about this in the book. If at that time I was looking, I was a scout, I was going to find my next hockey star. Tennessee, I wasn't going to start there, right? Probably not. Although hockey had been creeping to Tennessee for a while, and. Uh, a cool Madison connection, Bob Suter, who was on the Miracle on Ice team and, and as a Wisconsin native, ended up playing for a minor league team in Nashville back uh, after the Miracle on Ice and, 
and before his pro career really took off. So that creep had had, had been going on for a while, but Blake's dad, Danny, and then the entire Jeff Brown family drove so much of that, and it really was an incredible thing for him to get drafted by his hometown team and be able to return to Nashville, you know, 10-plus uh, years removed from his peewee days and, and uh, you know, wear the colors of the hometown NHL team. Talking to Sam Jeffries, author of the new book, Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffreyon and the Fastest Game on Earth, and UW hockey star Blake Jeffreyon himself. You can join in at 800-642-1234. If you have questions for our guests, hockey memories of your own, join in at 800-642-1234. Blake, you have a great uh, teen career going. Some people around the country very curious about where you are going to go to college. What took you to Madison? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, um, you know, Michigan was always kind of my my number one choice. You know, in the South, you know, the only game, the only college hockey games we got to see were the Michigan Michigan State rival games or the national championship game or the Frozen Four. And usually Michigan was always in those in those games with those cool blue, you know, those blue helmets with the with the yellow stripes. I always wanted always wanted uh, that helmet. And uh, you know, Red Berenson, who was the coach for a long time there was a good family friend of ours as well. So I think kind of those two were kind of the, my, you know, the number one reasons why I wanted to go there. And, and really the punchline is, um, you know, I played, I lived in Ann Arbor for two years playing for Team USA and, and, and you know, Ann Arbor's great, but it, it, you know, I, I wanted something a little bit more and something, you know, a little bit different. Um, and when I went to, went to Madison and just saw the, the, the football game, the, the small city, um, although, very similar to, to Ann Arbor around, you know, size, but, but, but a little bit bigger, a little bit more of a personality to the town, a little bit more swagger to the town. Um, a great, a great team. And then the ultimate, the, the Cole center. Um, and then Mike Eves, the head coach there at the time, um, you know, his, his assistant, uh, former assistant, John Hines was my head coach at USA. Um, and they had very similar styles of play and, and the way they looked at the game and, um, you know, and whatnot. And I think when you combine all of that, when I went to Madison, it was just like, Oh, and don't, don't forget the infamous college club uh, owned by the Meyer family. Cause that's, that's a, that was a, a selling point for me. <laughs> um, and I think when you combine all of those, I, I mean, there was nothing that you, know, you wrap in the great education of Wisconsin. Uh, I mean, truthfully, I, I really don't think there's a better, you know, set up or college hockey program in the country. And I, and I mean that, you know, wholeheartedly, not just because I went there, it's pretty hard to beat Madison. And Sam, uh, UW-Madison had at various points been one of the uh, biggest teams in the country, uh, always at or near the top. What were things like by the time that uh, Blake ends up going to UW-Madison for the hockey program in uh, the late uh, 2000s? Yeah, so Blake comes in on the heels of the 2006 National Championship, and uh, both men's and women's team won that year, so it was really uh, a crowning achievement for the program in, in so many ways and uh, has to inherit a team with high expectations and then have to deal with his own, uh, no offense, but Blake, but uh, big-headedness that I <laughs> doesn't matter what color the helmet was, probably couldn't fit it on. And uh, it ended up being a struggle for the next couple of years and really the pathway that I think he found himself and then the team under Mike Eves uh, found its way back to the national championship in, in 2010 and, and uh, really put together an incredible run that, uh, culminated in so many ways in those Mikey's years. Uh, Blake, actually, let's talk about that. Uh, Sam writes about this in the book. There were a couple points in your career and, and a couple of big ones in college where you 
you switched your approach to the game and became more of a, a student of the game, uh, more team focused. Can you talk about what what changed your attitude and led to a lot of your success? Yeah, I mean, look, I think as an 18-year-old kid being drafted as a first round, uh, uh, a first pick, second round of your hometown team, coming off a world championship, uh, entering college where the, the team that you're going to just won coming off the national championship and, and hanging out with those guys and seeing what they're like and whatnot, and then going into freshman year, being like, oh, this is going to be a, a cakewalk. Like, you know, as Sam alluded to, you know, I, I was big-headed, arrogant, and the whole thing, as I think any 18-year-old kid would be. Um you know, uh, and, and look, I, I had to grow, I had to, I had to learn and grow up and mature. And that, that while I was a talented guy, I wasn't the most, it didn't come naturally to me. And the core competency of why I was a good player was my work ethic first and foremost. And if I wasn't working hard, a lot of other things weren't working, um, if at all. And, you know, I think it, just like anything in life, you, you go through, you know, iterations of, 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 of a, as a player and as a person that, uh, you need to kind of, once the season ended, I always would reflect on what I do well, what I do bad, what I need to improve on, what I need to get back to, what I need to learn from and, and whatnot. And, and I think, uh, you know, freshman year was a very humbling experience for me. Um, and, you know, I, I got back to my core of, you know, not worrying about the extracurricular activities and, you know, focusing on the game and, 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 and hockey and, and just working hard and then evolving from there and just keep getting better and better every year. Um, you know, I think is the, is the core of it. We're talking to former pro hockey player and Badger star Blake Jeffreyon, also with us, Sam Jeffries, author of the new book, Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffreyon in the Fastest Game on Earth. Coming up, we'll talk about the injury that ended Blake's career just a few years into his pro stint, and you can join in at 800-642-1234. Have you been a fan uh, recently or for a long time of the UW hockey program. Did you yourself pour a lot of time and energy into playing a certain sport when those days ended? What did it mean to you? Join at 800-642-1234. That's 800-642-1234 or email ideas at WPR.org. We'll pick up the conversation coming up on Central Time. Central Time. I'm Rob Ferrett. We're picking up our talk with Blake Jeffreyon, former Wisconsin Badger hockey star, professional hockey player, and Sam Jeffries, author of the new book Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffreyon and the Fastest Game on Earth. You can join in at 800-642-1234 if you have questions for our guests. Blake, I want to take you now uh, a couple years into your pro career. You've played with that hometown team in Nashville, traded to the Montreal Canadiens. It's the strike season. You're playing with uh, the minor league team. Uh, what might look like a routine moment in hockey changed your life. Uh, if, if you're willing to, can you can you share your experience of that moment and what what you remember of it and what came after? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember it was uh, we were playing a game in the Bell Center. Uh, it was during the lockout, so we wanted to give something to the fans. I was playing for the Montreal Canadiens minor league team. 
Uh, my mom and dad flew up. They were actually in Boston watching my brothers play and then drove up to Montreal to watch to watch me. There was a couple shifts into the first period. Um, and, you know, puck turned over inside the blue line of our own end. I turned it up and, um, you know, was going down the boards, tried to jump out of the way of a hip check. And long and short is, you know, uh, his skate went one way, my shoulder went the other, or head went the other, kind of skate came up and hit me right in the side of the head. Um, you know, I had suffered a lot of concussions in my career, both, you know, uh, very, very minor to all of being knocked out uh, and unconscious. So, I, you know, I, I, I had known what a concussion felt like, and I, I'd, I'd known if I'd had one. And after that collision happened, which was a hard collision, I, I definitely thought I did. But when I, you know, as a, as a, when that happens, me using my peripheral vision goes, so it looks like you're, you know, it seems as if you're looking down, like, look, you have two straws you're looking down. It's kind of the best way to describe it. And uh, uh, I didn't have that. So I was sitting on my knees and, you know, kind of waiting for a second. Um, and then, you know, of course, a, a fight breaks out or, you know, a, a scrumish or scrum breaks out. And then, um, you know, I kind of stood up, I, I sat back, put my head up, and I just felt like a warm sensation go down my back, which was a bunch of, uh, a bunch of blood. And then I was like, oh, man, I got to get off the ice. So I skated, I skated off the ice with my head kind of over, you know, and I get to the, uh, get to the trainer's room. Or, I'm sorry, I get to the bench where my trainers met with a towel. Um, and, um, you know, he puts it up, I, I go into the trainer's room. They don't know where I'm, I'm kind of bleeding from. And, uh, long story short is I had a pretty severe cut in the side of my head and they, uh, you know, uh, looked at it and kind of disappeared very quickly. Mind you, these, these guys all are speaking in French, so I don't know what they're saying, uh, whatsoever. And, uh, they come flying back hundred miles an hour with the doctor. Doctor says, you know, something very quickly in French. And everything started moving very quickly from there on out. Um, and, and uh, you know, next thing I know, my mom and dad are down there. I'm in a stretcher and I'm off to the hospital. Um, and, uh, you know, I, the last memory I had before I went unconscious was, you know, I went into the hospital in a stretcher looking up into those, you know, one of those rooms that's really cold. And, uh, you know, I, I passed out. And the, 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 the punchline there is, I had a, a depressed cold fracture and internal bleeding on my brain, which, which caused me to, to kind of, you know, go unconscious. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that was the, the last thing I remember until I woke up, uh, you know, uh, I don't remember how many, exactly how many hours, but a lot of hours later. So, and Sam, I'm not an athlete. I'm a parent of athletes, not at, at Blake's level. Uh, my first thought was his parents are there, right? And when you see your kid down, you don't know what's happened. You talked to uh, family, Blake's family members, uh, about their experience. Could you talk about how they talked about that moment? Yeah, and it was really one of the amazing things for the Jeffrey on family to be so open with me. Uh, his mom, Kelly, uh, who's, who's a tremendous storyteller, uh, walked me through being in the stands and, and I think being a little casual when it first happened because they have um, – Blake is not their only son – They'll play hockey. They um, they've have seen, seen injuries before. Injuries. Yeah. That's right. Seen, they've seen injuries. They've seen uh, concussions. And you know, I remember her telling me, "Oh, first thought was, oh, another concussion," and and kind of you know girding themselves for that recovery. And it, it wasn't until being in the hospital and having to rush Blake to surgery that they really understood that this time was different and the seriousness of it. Uh, speaking French or not, uh, they, that really came through very quickly. And so uh, she was open and transparent and then had to, unfortunately, be the one to make the call to um, 
Blake's fiance at the time uh, and his now wife, Kaylin. And Kaylin was taking a night off from law school, having well-deserved break with friends and, and gets the call, not having in her mind uh, Blake's playing schedule, not knowing uh, where and when the game was that night. And, you know, immediately fell to her knees and broke down and really described being near catatonic traveling from Chicago to, uh, to Montreal, uh, to, to be with him bedside. So it, it was, um, it, you know, in everyone I talked to, there was a real delayed reaction. I think nobody understood the, the danger or the risks. Uh, and then I, you know, I spoke to the, the surgeon, uh, and the trainer and, and I think, uh, for the medical side, they all understood very quickly how bad this was, um, how, uh, close he was to do something far more severe than what happened and and uh, how lucky it was that there was no NHL that night because they actually had the the best in the business uh, sitting there ringside ready to help. Talking to Sam Jeffrey, he's authored the new book Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffrey on and the fastest game on earth and Blake Jeffrey on himself, former pro and UW Madison hockey player. Blake, there's a moment in the book after this injury, the, the recovery, uh, it, it takes time, it's difficult, and you're evaluating hockey and the thought might be, oh, do you make a comeback? Do you not? And and it seems like you're asking yourself, even before the injury, was it worth it? Is this where I want to be? Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, no, totally. I mean, look, I think, you know, uh, I had suffered 13 documented concussions in my career. We all know the, the short-term and long-term effects of, of concussions or what's, you know, what's out there. And, uh, you know, I, I had spoken to uh, a lot of people, um, you know, both former players, current players, you know, uh, neurologists. I mean, you know, anyone and everyone, you pr- pretty much name it, uh, I had spoken to. And what the common theme that kept coming back was, you know, Blake, it's actually, you know, it's scientifically proven that it, it's, it's not actually as uh, a big of a deal if you suffer a lot of concussions. It's, it's around two core competencies, and that is, number one, um, you know, uh, does the does the time period that you're out continue to get longer and longer um, is, is the first and foremost question you have to ask yourself. And then secondly, um, you know, how often are they, they occurring, um, you know, inside that? And I would say, you know, historically, when I had suffering concussion, I was usually back within, you know, a couple of days to a week, feeling pretty much ready to go. Um, and I would say my last my last, um, you know, two concussions that I had suffered previously were, were fairly within, within reach of each other. And both of those were, I was out longer term and they were, each of those consecutively were, were longer durations of, of being out. And then when you suffer something like this, it's, it's actually uh, um, substantially worse than a concussion, obviously. And, um, you know, it's actually, you know, a bruise to your brain. Uh, and, and, you know, everyone would just like, look, dude, you can go like, if, first of all, if you can find a doctor to let you play and is willing to assume liability, you know, by all means, best of luck to you on that one. Uh, but secondly, like, there's no way that you can, that you should come back and play. You should move on, live, live a long and happy life uh, and not have, you know, long-term effects associated with this and, and, uh, and go do something else. And, you know, so it was kind of writing on the wall. And that's how I'd always kind of made every decision was kind of, you know, if you talk to enough people, usually you get a gut feeling around the right decision to make and or, um, it kind of slaps you in the face on what you should do in life. Um, you know, turning to the ones you're closest with and people that know the most about that industry. And I think after I did that, it was kind of, you know, the writing was on the wall. It was, it was time for me to step away and go do something else. 
you did continue to work in hockey. You did some time as a scout and into management. You still love the game? I still do love the game. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, I, I went on to be a scout and as I like to call it a road warrior um, and, and then into management. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, you know, uh, still love the game, still watch it. Uh, I just made a, made a bet with my dad uh, over the weekend that I still think Connor McDavid will lead, will lead the NHL in scoring this year. Uh, it's nice that he's got 11 points in his last three games. Um, and uh, no, I still love the game, still follow pretty closely. I have a lot of friends that still play. Um, but, you know, uh, going through all this, the, you know, I think the one thing that I've, that I've found is that family and friends are most important to me. And uh, I was no longer willing to, to sacrifice those relationships uh, in exchange for, for the game of hockey. So moved on to, to do something else. I will leave it there. Blake, thanks for joining us today. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. And, and Sam, as always, pal, good to see you. And thanks for, thanks for writing the book, pal. Yeah, and Sam, thanks for being with us. Yeah, I'm grateful for the time and uh, excited to hear what people think. It, is, it was a special journey to be able to write it and, and uh, something else to have it out in the world and for Blake's kids and my own to, to be able to read it one day. We've been talking to former pro hockey player and UW-Madison star Blake Jeffreyon and author Sam Jeffries. Sam's new book is called Legacy on Ice, Blake Jeffreyon and the Fastest Game on Earth.